Shalom, brothers and sisters. I'm Brother Sid. I have Brother Corey assisting me today. We are the Commandment Keepers Church. We have a detailed lesson prepared for our brothers and sisters internationally. The title of today's lesson is The Man in the Mirror. The Man in the Mirror. Brothers and sisters, and when we say man in the mirror, this is man is male and female, brothers and sisters. So this is going to be a very thorough lesson. It's going to be almost biblical anatomy, brothers and sisters. We will deal with some self-discovery today. You'll find that the Most High made his greatest creation very complex, brothers and sisters. Man is complex. However, the Bible can do what? The Bible can reduce that to something elementary. So follow us today, brothers and sisters. The man in the mirror. We're going to John, the 17th chapter, in the third verse. Please follow us there. John 17, verse 3. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God. That what, brother? That they might know thee, the only true God. So the apostle John laments the importance of relational knowledge of the Most High, brothers and sisters. And Christ. And the Messiah. Whom thou hast sent. So according to the text, brothers and sisters, according to the text, those who refuse to know the Most High cannot be saved by the Most High. How do we know? Could you read that one more time, brother? John 17 and 3. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Christ. And who? And Christ. So the text states emphatically, brothers and sisters, that we cannot know the Father apart from the Son. Whom thou hast sent. See? So the author is speaking of a intimate relationship that involves deep feelings, brothers and sisters. He's not saying, you know how you, you know someone's name, um, but you really don't know them. What you'll find, brothers and sisters, is that in Hebraic hermeneutics, to know is used to describe the relationship between a man and his wife that produces a child. Okay? Let's read that one more time and then we'll show. Verse 3. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Christ whom thou hast sent. Now, brothers and sisters, we're going to show, we're going to use the Bible to show that when it says to know the Most High in Christ, this is something more intimate. Not that you know his name. Let us show you. Let's go to Genesis, the fourth chapter, going all the way back, brothers and sisters. Genesis 4 and 1. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived. Read that again, brother. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived. See? So here the Bible uses to know as what? As a euphemism for marital intimacy. Brothers and sisters, in the Bible, intimacy is expressed in this way. What way is that, brother? Verse 1. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived. And bear Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. See, so to know the most high brothers and sisters, therefore, is not merely to have intellectual knowledge of him, but spiritual intimacy, brothers and sisters. The most high wants this type of relationship with us spiritually. And there's there's something, brothers and sisters, in the Bible It's called the law of first mention. So typically when you when the Bible first speaks on a certain topic or uses a certain word the Bible the rest of the Bible will keep that narrative 
of where you first learned that. Is now that's not always brothers and sisters, but that's a real thing. It's called the law of first mention. So you go into the Bible, and when you see the first mention of it, traditionally the narrative for that particular thing will stay the same all throughout the Bible. So that's why we went here. It says, and Adam knew his wife, and she conceived. Now remember, John 17 and 3 said, this was life eternal, that they may know the Most High and the Messiah, right? So we wanted to prove that this is, this is intimacy. This isn't just, you know, I know your name, okay? We need to know his ways, not just his name. We'll do that today. Let's go to Wisdom of Solomon, brother. We're going all the way to the Apographer, from Genesis to the Apographer. We're going to Wisdom of Solomon uh, 15 and 3. Examine this closely, please, brothers and sisters. Wisdom of Solomon 15 and 3. For to know thee is perfect righteousness. Yeah, to know thy power is the root of immortality. Now look at that, brothers and sisters. The biblical idea of knowledge involves more than possessing information, but what? Communion and fellowship, right? What did he say? What was the first part, brother? Verse 3. For to know thee is perfect righteousness. What is it, brother? Perfect righteousness. To know the Most High God is to be transformed and thus being introduced to a life that could not otherwise be experienced. Verse 3. For to know thee is perfect righteousness. Yeah, to know thy power is the root of immortality. It's the root of what, brother? Immortality. See? So our level of righteousness is a direct derivative of our pursuit in relational acquaintance. This, this, the narrative is the same. It's talking about immortality here. John 17 and 3 talked about eternal life. They are one and the same, brothers and sisters. So we need to know the Most High. We're going to get to know the Most High. Why? Because you need to know yourself. And the only way to know yourself is to know the Most High. Right, brothers and sisters? And let us prove that. We're going to stick in the same book. We're just going to go to the second chapter in the 23rd verse. Why do we say that if you know the Most High, you know yourself? Why do we say that? Wisdom of Solomon 2 and 23. For God created man to be immortal. The purpose of man is found in this text. For God created man to be immortal and made him to be an image of his own eternity. Mm. You see that, brothers and sisters? According to the author, relationship was the primary purpose for the creation of man. Do you see, brothers and sisters? He said he created man to be immortal. But immortality is directly tied to an intimate relationship with them. Let's read that one, let's read that one more time. Verse 23. For God created man to be immortal and made him to be an image of his own eternity. Made him to be what, brother? An image of his own eternity. You see that? So the more we understand our creator, the more we understand our the more we understand ourselves. Why? Because we're created in his image. See that? So according to the text, you don't know who you are until you know who God is. Brothers and sisters. This is for Jews and Gentiles, male and female. He said that he created man, male and female, in his own image. 
That means you should be able to learn about God and learn about yourself, brothers and sisters, and vice versa. So what do we do? We'll, we'll start with the source. We'll start with the most high, okay, to learn about ourselves. Let's go to Genesis. The first chapter, the 26th and 27th verse. <clears throat> Genesis 1 and 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air and over cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. He did what? He created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. See? So according to the text, man was granted a particular likeness unto the Most High God. Brothers and sisters. And guess what? As a direct result of man bearing God's image, what happens? You see the kingly rule that mankind is called for. Let us read that one more time. Verse 26. Verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. After our likeness. Now, let's stop there, brothers and sisters, because right away he's telling you that man, male and female, is created in our image. When you see, look at that word image in the Hebrew, it's actually icon, brothers and sisters, made after his likeness. And since you're made in his image and after his likeness, what happens, brother Corey? And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. See that, brothers and sisters? We have an intrinsic value because of the image God has given us. He said, I'm going to create man in my image. I'm a ruler. I am a king. I must make man. I want man to feel like I feel on a, on a smaller level. So the fact we're made in his image delineates the most fundamental difference between man and other creatures. Other creatures were not made in his image. And that's why man will always be above animals. Supposed to be, brothers and sisters. So we wanted to establish a foundation that the, the title of today's lesson was The Man in the Mirror. But in order to, to actually learn about the man in the mirror, you have to... Learn about the the God who created the man in the mirror, brothers and sisters. Man, male and female, was created in his image, after his likeness. That's going to be key, brothers and sisters. That after our likeness is going to be key. Why? 1 John 5 and 7. Let's find out the Most High's image. First John, the fifth chapter, the seventh and eighth verse. First John five, verse seven. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. You see this, brothers and sisters? What's the last part say, brother? And these three are one. And these what, brother? And these three are one. Now, here we see three separate beings with th three separate functions composed to operate as one. See, Christians, they'll go here and say, see, Trinity. No, no. The worst Trinity is not in the Bible. It's telling you something clear here. Can you read that one more time? Verse 7. For there are three that bear a record in heaven. There's three of them. 
the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. So it's not saying they're all the same, brothers and sisters. It's just like a family. You have a father, a wife, and the child. They're, they have three separate functions, but they work together as one, one family. So you have the Father, which is the Most High, Ahaya. You have the Word, which is Yeshaya, the Messiah. And then you have the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, which is the Ruach. These have their own functions, and they operate as one. It's called the Godhead, brothers and sisters. So according to the author, the Godhead is a triune composition. And guess what? If we're made in his image, then the house, then we house the same Trinitarian formula. Verse 8. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree in one. See, they agree in one, brothers and sisters. See, you have spirit, you have water, you have blood. That makes man. That makes a, a body. Spirit is not water. Water is not blood. But they work together to be a body, brothers and sisters. And we have to we have to start there. We have to start there because in order to learn about man, male and female, we have to know verse 7 and 8. Let's read that one more time, brother, and then go forward. Verse 8. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the spirit and the water and the blood and these three agree in one. This is one of the great mysteries of life, brothers and sisters. The breakdown, the composition of man. What is man, brothers and sisters? We just first wanted to show you that we're created in the Most High's image. And the Most High's image have three separate beings that operate as one or agree in one. So how is that applicable to you and I? Brothers and sisters, it must either the Bible's a lie or in some way this Trinitarian formula must be applicable to you and I. Let's find out. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians, the 5th chapter and the 23rd verse. First Thessalonians 5 and 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. That word holy, is, it says entirely in the Hebrew or in the Greek. And I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless into the coming of our Lord Christ. Brothers and sisters, according to the text, sanctification should be of a progressive nature. How do we know? Could you read that again, brother? Verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. Sanctify you wholly. When you pull that up, brothers and sisters, in the Greek, it says entirely or completely, which leads us to believe it, the implication is that there's a sanctification that's not complete. Right. So then it starts to break down when it says completely or entirely, it starts to break down complete or entire, you know, the entirety of man. Let's read that one more time and let's see if we can catch the divisions of man according to the Bible. And the very God of peace sanctify you completely. And I pray God your whole spirit, spirit and soul, soul and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Christ. See, So here we see the same Trinitarian composition written of in 1 John. Remember? 
See, so the Most High is saying, listen, learn about me, son. Learn about me, daughter. Because that's how you get to know yourself. That's how you get to discover yourself. Now, there's something else there that you dare not miss, brothers and sisters. I need you to closely examine the priority in order of spirit, soul, and body, right? And not body, soul, and spirit, okay? Let's read that one more time. Verse 23, and the very God of peace sanctify you completely. And I pray to God, or I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Christ. Now, it's clear that the author knew exactly, <laughs> understood what the Most High created. Because the spirit is your innermost being. Outside of your spirit, your soul houses your spirit. Your body houses your soul and spirit. So the order in which he put, he worked from the inside out. You have your spirit, and then your soul holds your spirit. And then your body holds or possesses your soul and spirit, brothers and sisters. So according to the text, there are three elements that compromise man. And guess what? All three need to be preserved blameless. <laughs> See, that's why I said entirely or completely. Okay, you have to make sure your spirit is in order. You have to make sure your soul is in order. And you, of course, you have to make sure your body is in order. Pre preserved, blameless. So this is, this is work here, brothers and sisters. Okay, yeah, you may know, you know, Israelite and all this stuff and Christ is black and all that's good. All that's, you know, that's fine. But you have work to do. What work was that, Corey? Brother Corey? First Thessalonians 5 and 23. In the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless mm -hmm. until the coming of our Lord Christ. Until the coming of the Messiah. So we have to make sure this happens. Sanctified means set apart and holy. That's what sanctified means. So he's saying your entire being. Your spirit, your soul, and body must be preserved blameless until the coming of the Messiah. So let's deal with that, brothers and sisters, because the title of today's lesson, The Man in the Mirror. And we're finding out, according to the Bible, man is comprised of three separate elements that work together as one. Right? The spirit, the soul, and the body. Further proof. Let's go to Hebrews. Follows the Hebrews, brothers and sisters. We've already learned more than, than doctors can tell us. We've already learned more than doctors can tell us in five minutes of reading the Bible. Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Here the author of Hebrews <clears throat> highlights the Trinitarian composition of man once again. Brothers and sisters, the Bible depicts man as a trilateral being created in the image of his creator, having a spirit, a soul, and a body. Let's read that one more time. Verse 12, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Piercing what, brother? 
even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. The soul and spirit. And of the joints and marrow. The joints and marrow, that's your body. And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. See, so the Godhead is compromised of three separate distinct personalities. And man is nothing more than a reflection of that, brothers and sisters. According to the text, only the Bible can delineate between the three separate components of man. Only the Bible is telling you the word of God is what, brother? The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Look at the precision. <laughs> Look at the precision, brothers and sisters. The Bible can cut and separate the soul, the spirit, and the joints, brothers and sisters, and the marrow. So what we'll find is the Bible is a spiritual mirror that shows our inward nature. It doesn't just show you outwardly. It shows your inward nature. And we're going to use the Bible for that today. Because it's, it's clear. He said, I need your spirit, soul, and body to be preserved blameless during the coming of Christ. And then Hebrew says, listen, the word of God can do that. <laughs> the word of God can divide these things and tell you. This is for your soul, son. This is for your spirit, son. This is for your body, son. Implement all of these things and you will be holy or completely sanctified. So that's the path that we're on. Now, if you just learned out about, you know, not eating pork last year or a few months ago, this may be outside of your range for now. But for those of us who, you know, are able to process meat, brothers and sisters. This is going to be a higher level understanding. And this is for those who are looking to discover themselves according to God's word. Let's go to Psalms, brothers and sisters. The 8th chapter, the 4th through the 8th verse. Psalms 8 verse 4. What is man? That thou art mindful of him. What was the first part, brother? What is man that thou art mindful of him? What is man? That's the question. And the son of man that thou visited him. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou hast made it him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. Notice that the purpose of the Most High making man was to make him a ruler, brothers and sisters. The Most High God appointed man as his representative to rule the world on his behalf. See, the Most High gave us dominion. What did he give us dominion over, brother? Verse 6. Verse 6. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, yeah, and the beasts of the field. All sheep and oxen, yeah, and... Or, excuse me, all sheep and oxen, yeah, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, mm. and whatsoever passes through the paths of the sea. Look at this, brothers and sisters. So I wanted to, you know, be clear here, because he didn't create us to rule over each other, okay? He didn't create us to have dominion over another, you know, another man or woman. He gave us dominion over his creation, everything else that he created. Brothers and sisters, but there's something critical here that I 
we can't miss. This here is a paradox, brothers and sisters. This is a paradox that man has a natural desire to rule, but cannot rule over himself. That's the complexity of man. There's something in man that knows he's supposed to have authority. He's supposed to have dominion. But that has been taken through the sin of Adam and Eve, right? But we're going to do this. We're going to look at the responsibilities of the three elements that make up man's personality. Spirit, soul, and body. Why? Because we have to sanctify all three of these. And it's going to take until Christ comes back to do this. This doesn't happen in a year. This doesn't happen in five years, brothers and sisters. This is something that you will have to work on every day of your natural life, including me. Brother Corey, let's go to Proverbs, the 20th chapter and the 27th verse. Proverbs 20 and 27. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. According to the author, brothers and sisters, it is the spirit which makes us conscious of God when we're regenerated. When we're regenerated, it's the spirit, brothers and sisters. Man's spirit is the distinctive element that separates humanity from all other creatures. We have the spirit of the Most High God. They don't. <laughs> Nothing else has that. Brothers and sisters, could you read that one more time? Verse 27. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. It's the light of the Lord. The candle of the Lord. Note here that it is the candle or lamp and not the light itself. Brothers and sisters. See, a lamp is a light receptor. It serves to hold or contain the light, but does not produce the light itself. It's just the vehicle for light. So we wanted to be clear on that, right? Verse 27. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. So man's inner spirit is that vehicle which through the Most High's light shines, brothers and sisters. See, it says the spirit of the man is the candle of the Most High. So the Most High speaks spirit to spirit with us, brothers and sisters. That's what he, he that's where he communicates man's innermost being. The human spirit is the receptacle for the light that God gives to enlighten. So remember, we're, we're separating the three. We're separating the spirit, the soul, and the body. And according to the author of Proverbs, the spirit of the man is the candle of the Most High. So the Most High speaks to your spirit. The Most High speaks to your spirit. Further proof. We're showing you the responsibilities, the, the responsibilities of these three elements and we're going to Romans the first chapter and the ninth verse please examine this closely because we're dealing with the spirit first why because we're working our way from the inside to the outside Romans 1 verse 9 for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Brothers and sisters, this particular verse is proof that the spirit is the God-conscious part of man. Could you read that one more time, brother? Verse 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit. Serve with my soul. My spirit. Serve with my body. My spirit. Serve with my mouth. My spirit. 
in the gospel of his son. See, so Paul tells us in this text that his service came from his innermost being, brothers and sisters. We just we wanted to show that the spirit is the candle of the most high God. Paul is saying true service comes from your spirit, right? Do you see that, brothers and sisters? It's going to be very, very important to be able to distinguish or delineate the difference between the three, especially for men. Especially for men. Why? Because men are leaders, brothers and sisters. The men are the leaders. Let's read that one more time. <clears throat> Verse 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. We just wanted to go here to show you that Paul served with his spirit. And that links flawlessly with the you know with Proverbs that says the spirit is the candle of the most high. See? So this is your innermost being. He said, My innermost being is how I serve the most high God through the gospel of the Messiah. Right? Brothers and sisters, we're still dealing with the spirit now, okay? We're going to go to John, the fourth chapter, the 23rd and 24th verse. Please listen closely. John 4 and 23. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. But the Father seeketh such to worship him. Now, brothers and sisters, the apostle John here makes a... A delineation or a distinction between true worship and fraudulent. Listen to that. Verse 23. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So according to the text, worship can be considered a dead work, brothers and sisters. All works in the New Test in the Bible are not <clears throat> dead works. Dead works are when you're doing the right thing, but it's the wrong motive. That's what the Bible con considers a dead work. But I know Christians say all works is dead. No, no, they're not. No, they're not. Okay. Dead work is you doing the right thing for the wrong reason, which you, you have that too, brothers and sisters. So there's a couple of things we're learning. What, what is he looking for, brother? But the hour cometh, and now is, when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Worship in spirit means that it must originate from within, brothers and sisters. So our worship must be rooted, excuse me, rooted and tethered to the realities of biblical revelation. You have them both because he said in spirit and in truth. So even if it's just in spirit, yet it's not truth, like Christians, you know, do, he's saying that's unacceptable. Worship, brothers and sisters, worship and service are the proper functions of the spirit. See, now you're learning. What is my spirit to do? Worship. That's why he created your spirit. Service and worship comes from the spirit the most high is the spirit and you must worship him in spirit not in the not in the soul or the body brothers and sisters and at a later date we'll go into it but praise comes from the soul worship comes from the spirit it's work it's it's spirit to spirit it's it's a higher level uh, uh a more intimate level when you're dealing with worship 
brothers and sisters. But we just wanted to go here to show you what? We wanted to show the function of the spirit. Romans said that what? I serve with my spirit. Right? Proverbs said that what? The spirit is the candle of the most high God. And John said what? You have to use your spirit to worship the most high. You have to use your spirit to worship him. Let's go to John 3 and 5. Just one chapter uh, before. John 3 verse 5. Christ answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Brothers and sisters, Christ was attempting to explain to Nicodemus the nature of spiritual regeneration. A person must have a spiritual birth to enter eternal life, according to what John is saying here. Could you read that scripture again, brother, verse 5? Verse 5. And Christ answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. See, so Christ is referring to a spiritual experience here, brothers and sisters. Our receipt of the Holy Spirit occurs when we're spiritually resurrected from our watery grave. So once you're baptized, right? Baptized in the name of the Most High, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is when you receive the Holy Spirit. If you're doing it in faith, if you're doing it with the right heart. Brothers and sisters. And we're showing you. It says water and spirit. Okay. So we, we have to make it clear here. This is the importance of learning the distinctions of spirit, soul, body. Because why? You cannot grow until you grasp those three. This is self-discovery, brothers and sisters. This is how you learn about yourself. Self-discovery. This is when you discover yourself. This is how you become a better man. This is how you become a better woman. Because you, you now you can delineate the difference of which one of my, you know, my elements am I struggling with? It's not just my full self. There's a, uh, there's a war within me. We're going to find out today, brothers and sisters. Let's go to John, the 20th chapter. We're going to have Brother Corey read the 20th chapter and the 21st through the 23rd verse. <clears throat> John 20 and 21. Because remember, we, he said you must be born of the spirit and water, right? Okay. Verse 21. Then said Christ to them again, peace be unto you. As my father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. What did he do? He breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Closely examine the Messiah's behavior on Resurrection Day. Brothers and sisters, could you read 21 one more time, brother? Verse 21. Then said Christ to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when I, he said this, he breathed on them. What and did he do, brother? He breathed on them. And saith unto them. What did he say? Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Brothers and sisters. It is noteworthy that the gospel author. Recorded this peculiar. Intentional action. On the part of Christ. He had just risen from the dead. And now he breathes on the. 
on the disciples. Brothers and sisters, what you'll find is this was a symbolic visual suggestion of the power that pointed to a historical event in the Torah. What did that point to? Let's go to Genesis, the second chapter. What did that point to, brothers and sisters? And this is why we say, spend a lot of time in the gospel, brothers and sisters. I know, you know, we want to go into the Old Testament, especially Israelites. We're going to the Old Testament, the Torah, Tanakh, the Apocrypha. We want to go everywhere but the gospel. There's so much intel. There's so much information that we just skim past or skip through in the gospel that have huge significance. What was Christ breathing on the disciples? What did that point to in the Torah? Genesis 2 and 7. Genesis 2 verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. What did he do? And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. See, so this is the only other time in the Bible where the Most High God breathed on someone. So what? Christ's act of breathing upon the disciples evoked the original creation of humanity. Let's look at that one more time. Verse 7, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. See? So breathing upon the disciples referred to a reception of the Holy Spirit. That breath, when you look at that word breath, that's the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters. It's the Ruach. When you pull it up in the Hebrew, so that breath that went into the nostrils of Adam was actually the Holy Spirit, a feminine spirit. So guess what? The unusual incident of Christ breathing symbolized the work of recreation, even as the Most High God breathed life into the first man. So there was a second creation, brothers and sisters, after Christ was resurrected. A lot of people don't know this. There was a whole nother. He recreated things, brothers and sisters, when he resurrected. And we're going to prove that today. We just wanted to show you that him breathing on the disciples, it was symbolic of life. He was breathing life into them. Life is what? The Holy Spirit. Let's prove that. We're going to go to Job. Job 33 and 4. Examine this closely, brothers and sisters, because there's a principle that you will find in the Bible, throughout the Bible, and it's monolithic. The narrative is monolithic. Job 33 verse 4, the spirit of God hath made me and the breath of the almighty hath given me life. And the what brother? And the breath of the almighty has given me life. See, so breath is often a picture of the spirit, brothers and sisters. In fact, the Hebrew word for spirit is also the word for breath, brothers and sisters. If you look at it closely, it's the fourth verse in the 33rd chapter of Job. According to the text, the origin of life is found in what? The Spirit. Let's read that one more time, brother. Job 33 and 4. The Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. That's clear. That's crystal clear, brothers and sisters. Christ breathing on his disciples was a symbolization of what would be bequeathed to the apostles on the day of Pentecost. 
You see that, brothers and sisters? It's a symbolism of the disciples being spiritually regenerated or brought to life. So that told us what? Without the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, you are dead. <laughs> you are dead. So that was recreation. Christ was just recreating, right? That's what, that, that's what Christ was doing. There was a recreation, brothers and sisters. The breathing upon them was meant to convey the impression that the Holy Spirit would give them life. The Spirit giveth life, brothers and sisters. The breath. How do we know? How do we know that Christ had a second creation? How do we know that? Because you, you're not here to just, you know, believe what, what Brother Corey and I say. If we don't pull a scripture that is corroborating whatever we're saying, then you're obligated to, to not follow that, brothers and sisters. How do we know that there's a new creation? Let's go to 2 Corinthians. The fifth chapter, the seventeenth verse. Second Corinthians five and seventeen. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. All things what, brother? Are become new. When Christ breathes on us we become new creations rooted in him with what with his spirit operating within us see brothers and sisters what christ was doing was symbolic now i'm pretty sure the the disciples didn't have any clue what you know what was going on as you read the gospel more often you'll see that many times the disciples had no clue <laughs> they had no clue what was going on at all until way after now, guess what? If you follow a brother like that, you're almost, you probably feel obligated to at least look like you know what he's talking about, right? But they, they didn't know, brothers and sisters. And that's why you'll see a lot of, you'll see a lot of times in the Bible, in the gospel, he's, they're referred to as disciples. And then they're referred to as apostles. Look at the difference in those words, the context of the text that calls them disciples and the context of the text of when they're called apostles, there was growth, there was understanding, brothers and sisters. Here, the apostle Paul emphasizes a recreation in Christ. We'll have Brother Corey read that one more time, and then we'll go to Ezekiel. Second Corinthians 5 and 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, Behold, all things are become new. A new creation, brothers and sisters. That's what was being symbolized when Christ breathed on the disciples, brothers and sisters. And I'm quite sure they had no clue, you know. And see, that's the blessing of living today. Because now we have all the records, brothers and sisters, and are able to go into this. They didn't have all these records, brothers and sisters. A lot of the things that Daniel was writing, he, he had no clue of. He didn't even know what it was. He was just following what the angel told him. Same thing with Ezra. These prophets, they were just writing what they were told. They had no understanding of that. You and I do. That's a blessing, brothers and sisters. That is a blessing that we have more understanding than Daniel and Isaiah because we have more of the records. Let's show you. Let's go to Ezekiel 36 and 26 because 
here's that narrative of the spirit giving life. <clears throat> Ezekiel 36 and 26. A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. A new what brother? And a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh. Now, brothers and sisters, this is the spiritual transformation promise subsequent to our recreation. What does it say again, brother? Verse 26. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh. See, so according to the author... There's a fundamental change that occurs when we are regenerated. What's the next scripture saying, brother? Verse 27. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. See? So the text teaches us that the, the indwelling Holy Spirit would help the believer to obey God's laws. He said, I'll put my spirit within you and it'll cause you to keep my judgments. And do that. See, brothers and sisters? We're showing you the characteristics, or not only the characteristics, but the purpose in which you were given a spirit. What is the function of the spirit, brothers and sisters? Once you're regenerated, baptism, receiving the Holy Spirit, this is what you receive. This is the new creation. He said, I'll give you a new heart, a new spirit. Right? You see that, brothers and sisters? There's a difference between having the Spirit of God and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Each of us have the Spirit of God because He sent His Spirit out to give us life. But there's a difference in being filled with the Holy Spirit, which is your, the Holy Spirit is controlling you. Each one of us have a little piece of the Spirit even before receiving the Holy Spirit because He breathed breath into the nostrils. That was His Spirit, brothers and sisters. There's something completely different in being filled with the Holy Spirit, which you'll read of in the Bible. That's when the you're completely filled, you're completely directed, instructed. Your spirit is gone. Now you're being led by the Holy Spirit, right? Let's go to the soul. Let's deal with the soul now, brothers and sisters. The title of today's lesson, The Man in the Mirror. We've now used the Bible to deal with the Spirit, show the function of the Spirit, show the importance of the Spirit. Let's move to the soul. We're going to go to Ecclesiasticus chapter 2, verse 1. Let's deal with the soul. Ecclesiasticus 2, verse 1. My son, if thou come to serve the Lord... Prepare thy soul for temptation. What does this text teach us about the soul? The soul is the area of ongoing temptation. You see that, brothers and sisters? Do you see that? See, now you're learning about the soul. According to this account, the soul is the battleground of tremendous spiritual forces. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 1. My son... If thou come to serve the Lord, prepare thy soul for temptation. Prepare thy what, brother? Thy soul for temptation. Prepare your spirit for temptation. Your soul for temptation. The soul is the area 
of the original rebellion, brothers and sisters. The soul is what says, I want, I don't want, I won't, I will. That's the soul, brothers and sisters. So the soul dwells between the spirit and the body, and it is the medium of the two. See, your desires, pleasure, anger, all this comes from the soul, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus 18 and 31. Same, same book, just a different chapter and verse, brothers and sisters. We're dealing with the soul now. Very important. Ecclesiasticus 18 and 31. If thou gives thy soul the desires that please her, she will make thee a laughing stock to thine enemies that malign thee. Now remember, brothers and sisters, we said that the spirit is what makes you God conscious. Guess what? The soul is what makes you self-conscious. Could you read that again, brother? Verse 31. Follow us to, to 18 and 31, brothers and sisters. Verse 31. If thou givest thy soul the desires that please her. Now, look at that. Right off the back, the soul is the seat of personality, man's will, his desires, and emotions. All this lies in the soul, brothers and sisters. The text is telling you that your soul has desires. See? Verse, 30, oh, me. Verse 31. If thou givest thy soul the desires that please her, what happens? She will make thee a laughing stock to thine enemies that malign thee. See? So according to the text, the soul is very unstable and therefore must be denied. Brothers and sisters, the author tells us that man's soul should be subject to his spirit. So you so now you have to figure out how to do this. Your soul should not be leading I feel, I want, I don't like, I do like. Nah. <laughs> okay, your spirit is supposed to be in control. Let us show you. David understood this. David directed his soul from his spirit. Brothers and sisters, I need you to examine Psalms 103, verse 1 through 5. Listen to how David speaks to his soul, brothers and sisters, from his spirit. Psalms Chapter 103, we'll have Brother Corey read 1 through 5. Psalms 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Brothers and sisters, examine how David, through his spirit, exhorted his soul. He's telling his soul to bless the Most High. This, he's not speaking from his soul. He's speaking to his soul. We'll see. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with the loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. Look at that. God's original intent was that the spirit would direct the soul and the soul would direct the body. You see that, brothers and sisters? The soul that is not subjected to the spirit is exposed to danger. This was David saying, listen, this is how you feel, but you need to, you need to remember the benefits. Did you see that? Did you see that brothers and sisters? David understood the separation. He's saying, listen, 
It doesn't matter how you feel. Remember who the Most High is. Remember that respect. Remember that fear. Remember the benefits. He's telling his soul this. And he's going through all types of stuff during this time. But he was directing his soul how to feel. So the psalmist teaches that the spirit can only direct the body through the soul. At one time, brothers and sisters, the spirit could, the most high could speak to your spirit and that spirit would give that information to the, to the body. But now after this sin, the most high speaks to the spirit and the spirit has to go through the soul to the body. And the soul is like, I know it's wrong, but feels so good. So the message is not even given to the body more times than not, brothers and sisters. Because why? Desire, pleasure, all of that emotion, all that's in the soul. The spirit is, is hearing clearly from the Most High and saying, tell my body this. Well, nah, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. See that, brothers and sisters? David is showing us how it's supposed to be done. The spirit is supposed to be leading. The inner part of man, male and female, is supposed to lead his soul and body. So what are we seeing? We're seeing that the soul, you have to pay close attention to that soul, brothers and sisters. You have to pay close attention to that. David was showing us how to do it. He was directing his soul how to feel. So a lot of times people think that you're talking to yourself. Nah, I mean, I kind of, but nah. <laughs> okay, you don't know what's going on because you don't read the Bible. Okay, you don't know what's going on because my spirit is directing my soul. That's how, and I know a lot of people, especially who deal with the Bible, they speak to themselves, but they don't even know what they're speaking to. They don't know, <laughs> but this is what you feel. When you, you feel some type of way, but you're trying to give yourself that talk. You're speaking to your soul from your spirit. The Most High is speaking directly into your spirit, saying, daughter, this, son, this. And even though you don't want to do it, even though you don't feel it, you start telling yourself. You start, you know, trying to convey that information so your soul, so your soul can get that information to the body. And only when Christ comes back will, this, will the spirit be able to direct the body without the soul. That's how it should have been. But now the spirit gets a message. It has to pass it through the soul. And that means the soul has to dictate or say, okay, well, yeah, that's what we're going to do. Tell the body this. Because the body is like, I didn't get that message. I, I, I didn't get that message. The message I got was this. See, I know it's wrong, but that's the message I'm getting from my soul. Let us show. Let's go to Psalms 19 and 7, brothers and sisters. Follow us there, please. Psalms 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. According to the text, the soul is what needs conversion, brothers and sisters. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. See, so the psalmist teaches us that our soul is... And its desires must be converted to the way of Christ, brothers and sisters. That's key there. Could you read that one more time, brother? Psalms 19 and 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. Doing what, brother? Converting the soul. Doing what was that? 
converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. See? So the effect of the law is to turn the soul from the ways of sin to the ways of holiness. Brothers and sisters, if you examine it closely, the author tells us that the soul of man must be made to yield. See, you need to be able to separate. You need to be able to delineate. You need to be able to distinguish which part of me is struggling. Which part of me is this? <laughs> right? Because you're wasting time trying to work on other stuff. And it's the soul. Or it's the spirit. Right? Let's go to 1 Peter's, brother. We're going to go to 1 Peter's chapter 2. Follow us here, brothers and sisters. We're going all the way to the New Testament. 1 Peter 2 and 11. 1 Peter 2 and 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Which do what, brother? Which war against the soul. The soul is the part of man where fleshly lusts, desires, and appetites arise. Brothers and sisters, the soul is what? It's the part of man which enables him to be conscious of his existence. It's where self-awareness comes from, brothers and sisters. He's telling you, there's a war for your soul. Can you read that one more time, brother? First Peter 2 and 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. Mm. Brothers and sisters, the function of the soul is self-denial and submission. That's what your soul is there for. And in this verse, the author laments an ongoing war for your soul. It's, it's clear here, brothers and sisters. The war is for your soul. Your spirit is not, if you have the Holy Spirit, Brothers and sisters, if you're dealing, if you're regenerated, right, then you're not having struggles there. The struggle you're having is in your soul, how you feel, how you don't feel, your anger, all of that, brothers and sisters. There's a war going on. Further proof. Let's go to Matthew, the 16th chapter in the 26th verse. Showing you there's always been a war for the soul. <clears throat> Matthew 16 and 26 For what is man profited if he shall gain the world or the whole world and lose his own soul and lose what brother and lose his own soul or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul you see that brothers and sisters see what goes to hell <laughs> brothers and sisters what does it profit a man if what, brother? For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? See that, brothers and sisters? It's the soul. It's the soul. We, we previously discussed that your soul is supposed to be on submission and self-denial. Your soul should be doing that. Without sin, you know, the sin of our father, Adam, right? You would be able to do this without trying it. 
Now you have to do what? You have to direct your soul. Go against what you feel, what you like, what you don't like. Okay? You have to move off that. If you only do what you feel like doing, then uh, you're going to have a, a very tough, a uh, very obstacle-laden life. Because if you don't feel like it, you won't do it. There is a war for your soul, brothers and sisters. Not only from without, but from within. We have to find a way and to control this thing. Because the Bible says what? Psalms 19 and 7. The law of the Most High God is perfect. Doing what? Converting the soul. So it can be converted. It can be converted, but you have to put in the work. You have to put in the work, brothers and sisters. Now, let's move to what, brothers and sisters? We've dealt with the spirit, right? We learned that worship and service should come through the spirit. Then we moved to the soul. And what did we learn? The soul should be submitting and denying itself. That's what the soul should be doing. If it's, it's, if it's you know, functioning properly. Now, what about the body? What is the purpose of the body? What, what function does the body have? Because remember, 1 John said what? That you had the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and they work together as one. So your soul, your spirit, and your body should work together as one, but it's not. <laughs> it's not. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 3 and 16. We're going to have Brother Corey read the 16th and the 17th verse. We're now moving to the body. 1 Corinthians 3 and 16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Brothers and sisters. The body is the third and outermost segment of man. And what was the purpose? Can you read 16 one more time, brother? Verse 16. <laughs> know ye not that ye are the temple of God. What are we? The temple of God. And that the spirit of God dwells in you. See? So the body is the outer shell of the soul. While the soul is the outer shell of the spirit. Brothers and sisters. What's the next scripture say, brother? Verse 17. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. So the body is supposed to provide what? A pure temple for the Holy Spirit to dwell within you. That's the whole purpose of the body. <laughs> okay, your spirit is supposed to hear from God, right? Your spirit is supposed to send that information to the soul. And the soul should say, okay, spirit, you're hearing directly from God. Now, the body, the body, the whole purpose of the body is to what? Keep the temple pure so the Holy Spirit can operate within you. So they all should, you know, be on the same page here, even though we know they're not because we're dealing in, in sin, brothers and sisters. See, remember, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 said that you be sanctified wholly or completely. And then it went to the spirit, it went to the soul, and it went to the body. 
So all three of these must be cleansed. All three. And many times, you know, with our people at least, we do the outside things, right? The body, you know, you, you got the bodies to stop eating pork and all this stuff and stop celebrating Christmas. But inside is running rampant. The whole spirit, the soul, all of that's just loose. It's running loose. You look like you're fine, but you're running loose inside. The most high knows. He knows that you could be running loose inside and not eating pork. Right? And wearing fringes and still running loose inside. He knows this. That's why he had one of his apostles. That's why he had Paul. I mean, probably one of the most intelligent brothers in the Bible, to be honest with you. Benjamin. He had him document a lot of this information for you and I to be able to go back on today and say that's where the battle is. There's that medium. My spirit is feeling, I'm feeling my spirit say do this. Remember Paul said, I know what's right, <laughs> but I can't find a way to do it. See? Why? My spirit knows what's right, but my soul, it doesn't want to do it. See this, brothers and sisters? Again, the body is supposed to provide a pure temple for the Holy Spirit to dwell with you. That's the body's whole function, should be. But we're using our bodies for other things now. Let's go to Romans 12. The title of today's lesson, brothers and sisters, The Man in the Mirror. We're utilizing the, the biblical, you know, we're utilizing the Bible to show the differences, the three, the Trinitarian formula of man and woman. Every man has a spirit, a soul, and a body. Every woman has a spirit, a soul, and the body. Now, if you talk to, uh, you know, doctors and all that, they'll say, well, nah, the spirit and the soul are the same. <laughs> See? the Only the Bible has the precision to be able to separate this. There is no book. Don't ever come to us with the uh, Quran or the, the Gita or any of these, these books. I'm not going to disrespect them, brothers and sisters, but get that out of my face. This book is the book. The Bible says you can't make this book with any other records. So don't try to bring us the Book of Mormon or any of that other garbage. Because those books can't divide the spirit, the soul, and the body for me to be a, a better man or a better woman for our sisters. We're dealing with the body. What is the body for? Can you read uh, 12 and 1, brother? Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. Here we read the proper function of the body. The body is to provide yielded members as slaves to do the will of the Most High God. See, this is the purpose. Could you read that again, brother? Romans 12 and 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Present what, brethren? 
your bodies a living sacrifice. See, present your bodies mean that God wants you, not just your work. And give him you. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's reasonable. He's saying, I want you. Why? Because you may do all kinds of work for God, but never give him yourself. And this happens, brothers and sisters. This happens. The Pharisees were dealing with it, <laughs> brothers and sisters. It happens more than you would think, brothers and sisters. And guess what? Paul's words are a call to action. They are directed towards what? Application. Application, brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, please follow us to 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, and the 27th verse. 1 Corinthians 9 and 27. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. According to Paul, the body must be under subjection or subjugation. Brothers and sisters. Look at, look at, how, look at how this verse is worded, brothers and sisters. Can you read that again? Verse 27. But I keep under my body. But I what? I keep under my body. See, the present tense of the text implies Paul's continual practice, which clearly implies a continual need. Look at this, brothers and sisters. He didn't say I kept. What did he say, brother? But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Not brought it into subjection. But bring it into subjection. Lest that by any means, when I preach to others... I myself should be a castaway. See, so the implication of the text is that the body has a tendency to try and operate outside of the proper order. It's clear there. He said, read that one more time, brother, please. Verse 27. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So Paul tells us, that Satan's main course of action is to work from the outside while the Most High chooses to work from the inside. You see this, brothers and sisters? Satan comes the other way. He did because why? Your five, your senses. He knows that that's the way to go. Remember, the scripture said that the bodily or the carnal, you know, carnal lust war against the soul. <laughs> so it goes from the carnal into the soul. See, Satan knows this. Satan knows this. And that's why Christ, when you look at Matthew, the fifth chapter, Christ expanded on the law. He brought parts of the law that you can't see physically. When he said, if you look after a woman, to lust after a woman, you've already committed adultery, right? When he said what? He said, it's not just wrong to kill a brother, but if you hate a brother without reason, then you're a murderer. Because he understood, I'm going to deal with the inside. I'm going to deal with the inner. And hope that and, and that'll work its way out. Satan's like, no, nah, no. Nah. If we come from the outside, we deal with their senses. How they see, how they smell, you know, uh, how they feel. Then we can corrupt the soul. Why? Because the soul is where judgment is going to be. <laughs> the spirit's going to go back to the most high. Why? Because it came from the Holy Spirit, the breath. But that soul is where the judgment is coming, brothers and sisters. It's not your body. Your body's not going to be judged. Your body's going to be in the ground. Your soul, that's where the pain is. 
How do we know? If you go down to a, um, you know, if a brother or sister die or whatever at the mortuary and all that, you can slap the body, beat the body, all that, and the body's not feeling anything. Why? Because it's your soul. It is your soul, brothers and sisters, that feels pain. Have you ever heard somebody say, my heart, you know, I'm heartbroken and, and all this stuff, brothers and sisters? It is not the flesh. No matter what they're trying to tell you, brothers and sisters, it's in the blood, brothers and sisters. Let's read that one more time, brother. First Corinthians 9 and 27. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, when I, I myself... When I have what, brother? When I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. What does this teach us? This teaches us that you could be teaching the Bible, reading the Bible, and all that, and still have to deal with this, brothers and sisters. This is something you will always have to do. You see this, brothers and sisters? This is the author of the Bible. What about those reading the Bible? So don't ever think, brothers and sisters, that you can get past this stage until the Messiah comes. Remember, what was that? Romans, the seventh chapter. Christ said, who would deliver me from this, you know, this wretched body? Because no matter how many scriptures you know, no matter how many fasts and all this stuff you do, this is going to be work. It's not something you can neglect and not attend to and say, well, I know the truth, so I'm good. I, I'm not getting tempted and all this. He's telling you. I have to continue to keep myself in subjection or I'll be thrown off while I'm preaching to others. And this happens. The Pharisees were doing this, which Paul was. Paul was a Pharisee. He's preaching to others and was going to be burned up like a crisp, like the rest of them. So Paul, that's why, you know, that's why Paul is one of my favorites, because he was he was equitable. He was real. He went in depth. He said things, you know, that the other authors did not say, brothers and sisters, when he talked about the internal battles. The only person you can really find talking about that, keeping it real, just keeping it, you know, 100. Right. That was Paul. We just wanted to show you that. Let's go to Romans 6, brother. Romans. We're going to the 6th chapter and the 12th verse. Romans 6, verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Paul emphasizes our great need to subdue and control the body. Let's read that one more time, please, brother. Verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. That ye should obey it in the lust thereof. See, so man's body should be subject to his soul, which should be subject to his spirit. Unfortunately, because of the sin, the spirit can't, it can't speak directly to the body without going through the soul. So all three of these are supposed to function as one, yet they are not. It's going to start with the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters. You need the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, you will fail. You will not be able to keep the law because your spirit is not strong enough. Your spirit is corrupt. Your soul is corrupt. Your body is corrupt. It starts with what? 
a new spirit like Ezekiel told us. Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 12. Let not sin therefore, <clears throat> therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So we've already shown, brothers and sisters, that the body should be subject to the soul and the soul to the spirit. So the spirit should be able to communicate to the soul and the soul to directly communicate that to the body. Yet Satan knows. What does he know? He knows he can access the soul through the five senses of the body. He knows this. He knows the senses, brothers and sisters. And he knows he can lead your soul where your desire is, where the pleasure is, where the, you know, where your anger is. He knows if he comes in through the senses, he doesn't even need to. I don't need the spirit. <laughs> it talks about being dead to sin, right? Brothers and sisters, there was a man. Uh, I read an article. There was a man who was smoking a cigarette, he died. While he was smoking a cigarette, his family came in, brothers and sisters, and the cigarette just burned all the way in his hand. He never took another puff. Brothers and sisters, that's being dead to sin. He was dead to sin. He was not smoking the cigarette. He was dead, brothers and sisters. You take that and spiritually, that's what we're supposed to be. That means no reaction. No reaction at all. Just tranquilize. No reaction to sin at all, brothers and sisters. He talks about being dead to sin. Brought alive from the dead. To yield your members, your body as what? As an instrument of righteousness. So it's, it's something key there. Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. That you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. But yield yourselves unto God. As those that are alive from the dead. Now that's key. Because not only did he say not to yield your members as instruments of righteousness. But to do what? <clears throat> but yield yourselves unto God. See? And that's, that's critical. Because it's not enough to stop doing the wrong thing. It's not enough. You're going to fall. The Bible always says what? Come out of the sin, but pick this up. See, because if you try to, if you try to, you know, deprive yourself of sin, but don't put anything good in, you will fall. This is a key principle here in fighting these battles, these daily battles. It's not just about walking away from the sin. It's not about that. Because you have to put something else in. In order to stay afloat. If you don't, you're going to be enticed. You're going to be enticed. Now, brothers and sisters, what have we proven? We've proven that only once the soul and body are in submission to the spirit. Can you live or have perfect harmony? It's the only way. So you have to make sure you have to continue to stay in the word. And be controlled by the or led by the Holy Spirit to get not only your soul, but your body both in subjection to the spirit. Why? Because the spirit is where you serve God. The spirit is the candle of the most high God. Your spirit makes you God conscious. It, it's what makes you conscious of God. 
Your soul makes you self-conscious. My desires, my, my dislikes, my likes, right? And your body does what? It makes you conscious of your environment, the environment around you. See? So you have to start, you know, dealing with the spirit, brothers and sisters. Because this is that next level. This is that next step that those who want to make it to see the Messiah come back, crack the sky. You're going to have to get this under control because the Bible tells you that there's a time coming where there would be more sin than you could have ever imagined. And it's going to be easily available, brothers and sisters. It's called the hour of temptation. That's coming. In fact, we're already in it, brothers and sisters, but it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. So you have to learn how to get not only your body, but your soul into subjection to the Holy Spirit. You have to do this. Let's go to John 17 and 3, brother. Let's go back there. John 17, verse 3. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee the only true God and Christ whom thou hast sent. So we dealt with knowing the one true God, right? But there was another part that was there. Can you read that again, brother? And this is life eternal, that they might know thee the only true God and Christ whom thou hast sent. So and according to the author, eternal life is not only connected to the most high, Ahaya, the great I am. But to Yeshaya, which means Savior in the ancient Phoenician Hebrew, not Yeshua. Not, that's not Christ, brothers and sisters. That's not. Go look at the word Savior in Hebrew. It's Yesha. My Savior is Yeshaya. Okay? So it's telling you, you need to know not only Ahaya, but Yeshaya. So let's deal with that. Let's deal with that, brothers and sisters. Because that will teach us something about ourselves also. The man in the mirror. Let's go to John, the 20th chapter, and the 11th verse. Follow us there, brothers and sisters. Follow us there. Uh, excuse me. Let's go to John 20 and 11. We're going to have Brother Corey read 11 through 15. Please listen closely. John 20, verse 11. But Mary stood without at the sepulchre, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulchre. And seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Christ had lain. Now this is after, brothers and sisters, he's already been laying in the, you know, laying in the tomb. And we, we're getting ready to find out that the first person to encounter the risen Christ was Mary Magdalene. Can you read 12 one more time, brother? <clears throat> Verse 12. And see it two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Christ had lain. Had lain, right? Past tense. <clears throat> Verse 13. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back, and saw Christ standing, and knew not that it was Christ. Christ said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? 
she supposing him to be the gardener. Who does she suppose him to be? The gardener saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Christ saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Now, brothers and sisters, there's a couple of things. A lot of times we skip this part. Who did she mistake him for? Let's go back. Let's go back. Let's go back to verse 15. Verse 15. Christ saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener. She supposed him to be a gardener. Brothers and sisters, that's what we're seeing. The text is teaching us that at first sight, Mary had mistaken Christ as a gardener. Right? It isn't until he says her name that she recognizes him. Right? Look at verse 16. Verse 16. Christ said unto her, Mary, she turned herself and said unto him, Rabboni, which is to say master. So there's something key there. You know that John would not put that in the Bible if there wasn't some significance behind it. You, if you learn with us, brothers and sisters, you should know that by now. That nothing in the Bible is just placed there to fill up space. It's There's a spiritual significance there, brothers and sisters. Okay? Now, was there in reality a specific reason that Mary Magdalene mistook him for a gardener that we can find in the Bible? Yes, there is. Let's go to Genesis 2 and 15, brothers and sisters. Let's go there. <clears throat> Genesis 2 and 15. Genesis 2 and 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Adam was the first gardener in the history, brothers and sisters. But through his bad stewardship and disobedience, he lost dominion. So that imagery of Christ being a gardener was an invitation to reflect on the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. That's to work it. Brothers and sisters, so we see that it was no accident that at first she mistook him for Garner. That was no accident, brothers and sisters. In the fact, not only that she mistook him for Gardner, but that that information was placed in the Bible. Okay, because if it didn't have purpose, that that didn't even need to be there. Right? Adam was the first gardener. Brothers and sisters, he was the original gardener. So it's entirely appropriate that the second Adam, Christ, is mistaken for one. We know that Christ is, or the last Adam. We know that. You can find that in the Bible. Christ is the last Adam. So what was, I mean, <laughs> what's going on here, right? She mistakes him for a gardener. Why? To, for you to go back to Genesis and look at the first gardener. Okay, but there was something else that was there. Let's go to John 19, Brother Corey. John 19 and, and 41. John 19 and 41. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. 
There lay they there laid they Christ therefore because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. See, so did it ever occur to you that the resurrection of Christ happened in a garden? This is no accident, brothers and sisters. Here we see what's called the tale of two gardens. Adam lost dominion in a garden. Christ regained that same dominion in a garden. This is not coincidence, brothers and sisters. Let's read those two scriptures one more time, brother. John 19 and 41. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. A new tomb where no man had ever laid. Now, the first part, don't skip that. That he was placed in a garden. His tomb was in a garden, right? Verse 42. There laid they Christ, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day. For the sepulcher was nigh at hand. Now look at that, brothers and sisters. The resurrection scene portrayed Christ in the imagery of Adam. Brothers and sisters, Adam's sin in the garden resulted in Christ's death in the garden. You see how it came? It came full scope, brothers and sisters. If we contextualize the text, we see that the garden burial becomes a garden crucifixion. It started in the garden and it ended in the garden, brothers and sisters. Christ is viewed as a gardener. What does that mean? What does that mean? Let's go to Isaiah 5 and 7 and we're going to close out, brothers and sisters. Christ was, was mistaken for a gardener, right? Isaiah 5, <clears throat> verse 7. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but beheld oppression. For righteousness, but behold a cry. Christ is the gardener. Who is the garden? Let's read that again. Isaiah 5, verse 7. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. Who is it? The house of Israel. And the man of Judah, his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry. Christ is the gardener. We are the garden, brothers and sisters. Remember, it talked about, Christ talked about those not bearing fruit. Remember that? Laying the axe to the root, all that. See? Christ is the gardener. You are the garden. Now, brothers and sisters, the question is, what's the difference between a forest and a garden? Order. That's the only difference is order, brothers and sisters. So we have to be in order. There's a righteous order. The Messiah did what? He got back our dominion. The same dominion that was lost in the Garden of Eden. The same dominion that was lost there, Christ got back in the garden through his death. Showing you how that how that thing went full-fledged. Our father, Adam, and his transgression, his iniquity, right? His transgression, his iniquity led to a death or crucifixion and burial in the garden, brothers and sisters. Today's lesson was the man in the mirror. I, I encourage you, I implore you. Brothers and sisters, um, to go on to these scriptures, 
go into these scriptures. The Bible was trying to convey a certain idea to you today. And today, you listening to this broadcast should not be the last time that you start trying to discover those three elements and work on those three elements. Don't listen to this. Write down notes and never and never work on your soul, spirit, and body. The whole purpose of the Most High demanding that we bring this information out is because we have work to do, brothers and sisters. Don't just listen to this and say, and go with your friends and, and, and try to sound smart and say, well, you know, the three elements of man, but you're doing nothing for the three elements of man. That's not what the Bible is for. The Bible is not for us to look, you know, sound deep. The Bible is for the perfection of man. We're going to work on that. We're going to work on that. We're going to work on that, brothers and sisters. And I would encourage our brothers and sisters. To continue to study. The Bible laid the. This is the foundation. But this is not the end of your study. The foundation was proven. That there's three elements. That need to be cleansed. Now where the most high take you from there. Is your journey. We want to say. Kwam Yasharala. Kwam Yasharala. Sin no more. Sin no more.